0: I say we kill him. I say we hump them. I say we get crumpets and tea.
1: Tasty. Crumpets and tea. All in favor of crumpets and tea, say aye. 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 and welcome back to Best Forgotten Movies, a podcast all about the films that time lost in the wastelands of cinema. I'm Gareth Green and joining me as always is my full-time co-host and part-time Skippy enthusiast, Andrew Phillips. <laughs> and if the idea of human on kangaroo sex is something you're into, then you're going to love today's episode as we watch Tank Girl. But does this post-apocalyptic action comedy deserve a second chance or is this tank ready to be decommissioned? Listen on to find out. It's the year 2033. There's no law. No mercy.
0: You're gonna really love this one. And no water. There are three million liters of water underneath the blue dunes, and you will retrieve it. The odds of
1: survival are a thousand to one. Ah! And that's just the way she likes it.
0: My, my. Talented, isn't she? Hi! Feeling a little inadequate? She'll be fun to break. I like things. Lori Petty. Did I hurt you yet?
1: Ice T. Turn this boat around or you're gonna get us all killed. And Malcolm McDowell.
0: Just how many of my men did you kill? <laughs> United Artists Pictures Presents. Just say I won. I won. I won. Tank girl. What's it like knowing you're about to die?
1: You don't! After an apocalyptic event, Earth is caught in the midst of an endless drought. Now a tyrannical figurehead is using water as a commodity to control the remaining population of the planet. But enough about Mad Max Fury Road, let's talk about Tank Girl. (laughs) Lori Petty stars as our titular hero, who finds herself pitted against Malcolm McDowell's evil water and power corporation after they attacked her commune. However, in order to defeat them, she and her partner Jet Girl must join forces with the Rippers, a group of dangerous kangaroo mutants that rule the wastelands. Not much makes sense, but just go with us on this one, (laughs) alright? Now, Tank Girl is actually the second film we've covered that was nominated by our listeners. But Andy, do you have any experience
0: with this film, or are you a Tank Girl virgin? To be honest, I came to know about this film in a really odd way. I mean, this is the first time I've ever seen this film, but I heard about it. I don't even know where I read it in, but it was back in the late 90s, and it actually has something to do with the Spice Girls, because what I'd read is that the Spice Girls, well, three of them anyway, met during the auditions for Tank Girl, because they had an open audition to try and find a Tank Girl, and uh, three of them met in the queue. I think it was Emma Bunton jerry halliwell and victoria beckham yeah i think all those three and they met in the queue and then whilst they were queuing up got friendly and they decided that they wanted to form a band so that's how i heard how they literally they were talking about how they didn't get into the audition into tank girl and i was like what's tank girl and i just looked it up and then i discovered there's this film called tank girl and i never heard of it before i knew that they auditioned but yeah. i didn't
1: know that that's essentially where the spice girls formed really yeah.
0: Because I was reading the interview with Rachel Talalay from Dana Geek as well, and they were talking about that as well, how the, she's has a small part to play in the formation of the Spice Girls, for better <laughs> or worse. <laughs> it's only recently, since picking up the uh, Stan Winston book, actually, it sparked my mind again. And then, yeah, people have been suggesting it on the uh, Facebook page.
1: Yeah, we've had quite a few suggestions for us to... Uh... Cover Tank Girl, along with a whole host of other films mm-hmm. I'm sure we will get round to reviewing. Yeah, definitely. But this seemed to be the one that the people wanted us to cover. Yeah. So, they're the people to blame. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen Tank Girl before. In the 90s, I used to have it on tape. I All right, yeah. quite like Tank Girl, mainly because in the 90s... As a 10-year-old kid, I decided I wanted to be a comic book artist when I grew up. yeah. And obviously, that never came to pass. I never quite had the talent to ever do anything like that. <laughs> but The Art and Tank Girl was like, really spoke to me. That was, mm. the, that was the kind of shit I wanted to draw. Yeah. And uh, I had a couple of the comic books as well. I really liked them. But I haven't seen this film for what must be like 10, 12 years. Mm. It's been quite a while. So it was almost like going back to it fresh because I had forgotten much of this film i remembered stuff like the rippers yeah i remembered a couple of the animation sequences but the story by and large it, i had no memory of it i think
0: say story in inverted commas yeah
1: <laughs> a little bit yeah yeah so yeah i do have some history with tank girl but really this is like starting afresh for yeah. me yeah yeah okay so how was the production of tank girl was it a breeze without a blip along the way well it wouldn't be best forgotten movies if it was now would it no so, uh, obviously, this is another troubled production, although it isn't actually the production of the film that was troubled, it's no. more so the post-production. Okay, to start off, I think we need to talk about just how this film came to be made. Mm-hmm. And um, it was obviously a comic book first, and that gained quite a lot of um, kind of appreciation and a little bit of a cult following. Mm-hmm. And the publisher decided they wanted to ship it out to to pitch it to studios to see if there was anybody out there that really wanted to make a Tank Girl movie. Yeah. And Rachel Talalay really passionately, all guns blazing, went for the job. Yeah. She was in the midst of a directional debut, which was the unforgettable <laughs> Freddy's Dead. Yeah, um, the on Nightmare Street. on Elm Street. Five. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. The final nightmare that wasn't the last. Yep. <laughs> um, but she was working on that film when she really made a kind of passionate plea for this film. And even then, it took them a year to really come around to the idea of letting her direct it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they gave her the rights. They gave her the rights to the movie, and so they started pitching it about to different studios. I think they went to Amblin first yeah. as one of the first major ones. I read somewhere that
0: Steven Spielberg actually wanted to direct it, and that's yeah. perhaps why but the, it fell through. But in the interview with Rachel Talalay that I heard, their response for rejecting it was the fact that we weren't quite hip enough to do this film. Ah. So we weren't quite on the right wavelength or yeah. in to actually... Really pull this film off. Terms of, I, I thought that was quite nice. It was kind of an honest answer. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, we're just not quite there with it well, in it, terms of our own. It doesn't really feel like an no. Amblin
1: film anyway. Even the comic book, no. it, it feels a lot more kind of raunchy and violent and with a lot of sexual innuendo. And to be honest, it feels very much like a new line film. It does, yeah. It's talking about that, that how raunchy and, and violent the comic book is and how much sex there is in it, Disney actually made a pitch for the film. They made a bid for it, which um, <laughs> Rachel Talalay turned down. Yeah. And probably rightfully so, because they knew that they wouldn't be able to make the film with the level of violence that they really wanted. They probably just wanted the talking kangaroos, didn't they? That's yeah. what they wanted. <laughs> they would have turned it into Kangaroo Jack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with iced tea. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, that's a, a bullet dodge there, I think, yeah. because uh, it certainly wouldn't be the film that they wanted to make. And eventually they settled down with MGM and UA, United Artists, to make Tank Girl. That's where the money came from in the end. And uh, even talking about the casting before, they did have an open audition for the role of Tank Girl, but it actually did not go to Laurie Petty first. It actually went to a English actress called Emily Lloyd, Mm. but she was unfortunately dropped, or fortunately, depending on how you look at this, yeah. because she refused to cut her hair for the role. Yeah, Which is strange, because you would think it would be a
0: requirement
1: yeah, for the role. Uh, that would be something they would know up front.
0: And they were talking about this, and apparently it was one of those things where she was kind of okay with it at the start, but when yeah. they got deeper, she got cold feet around the whole thing. And they basically had to make the decision, like, if you don't want to do that, then you're not the right person for us to do this. You're not going to go all in with it. Yeah. And um, the main reason they cast Laurie Petty was the fact that her personal life was almost as crazy as the actual character on the screen. Yeah. In terms of she's quite a bohemian kind of character anyway. So it wouldn't take much for her to sort of delve into this character and really understand what it, how it makes it tick.
1: Yeah, she's quite out there anyway, Laurie Petty, and that's probably why she hasn't gone on to become such a big name or anything like that, despite having some talent. Nobody really wants to work with her. No. (laughs) I remember that she was cast for Demolition Man in the Sandra Bullock role, Yeah, but was dropped shortly into filming Mm. just because it wasn't what they were looking for. I can't even imagine her in the role, in the Sandra Bullock role in Demolition
0: Man, which is very strange. Yeah, and yeah, she's currently on probation for something. For something? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's that (laughs) official? Yeah, she's had a very rocky career and lifestyle anyway but um i know that she is having quite a bit of success or now on um orange is the new black she has like a recurring role on that oh i um, haven't seen that yet so like we were saying last week television is the new film yeah so uh yeah everyone's getting this sort of uh, due on a lot of television programs these days i guess if you are overlooked in the 90s yeah you're made for television today basically yeah yeah and there's a lot of um controversy around her portrayal of that character but i think on the whole it works quite well
1: yeah i do as well i mean we're going to get into the performances later but to be straight up front with this i really like her in this film Mm. i think there are some issues that we will get into but i warm to her as a Mm. character she's a lot of fun to watch and she plays it really well but whether or not that's what the people want to see that's another thing entirely Mm. i can't really remember what the character was like in terms of the comic book because I was so young at the yeah, time. Yeah,
0: because I was, I was going to ask you that because I know that that's another main point of contention is that the hardcore fans that really liked the comic book took a lot of issue with this film and almost like killed it because they perceived it as being blasphemous because it wasn't exactly like the comic book. Yeah. This was a time where comic books were very rarely made into films and this was a, almost like a pioneering project, especially a, a very fringe comic like this and not that many things had been made like this before so no one had anything to gauge it on yeah i mean people use blade or x-men
1: as being like the first successful comic book movie franchises that worked
0: yeah other than Uh, batman
1: Oh well yeah other than batman i guess they used them as the ones that kicked off the current trend that we're still well in yeah yeah batman is probably got a good 10 years on that yeah but it didn't really none of the comic book films that followed really managed to capitalize on the success of batman no and i think tank girl is probably a film that tried to capitalize on the success of tim burton's batman by incorporating some of the uh and we spoke about it last week's with last week's episode by incorporating some of mad max into that world yeah yeah Uh, try to try to make a comic book movie in that vein But um, no, it didn't quite work. It it never quite came together. So it's still before that real
0: big comic book boom. Yeah, I think the other thing that holds it back in a way, it's caught between being a very out there, almost art house version of a comic book movie, but then also being held back by it being a teen movie. Yeah. As well There's a lot of uh, stock teen movie elements in there in terms of the way it's shot, the soundtrack, just the certain characters there. There's almost bits that feel very Austin Powers-ish at times, especially in all the and power stuff.
1: It does feel a little bit Dr. Evil-esque. Yeah,
0: yeah. Although I do enjoy all that part of the stuff, it does feel like it's not quite hitting the level that it should do.
1: No. I guess it's because it's a little tonally all over the place. Yeah. It's another one of those films where, again, you can see that it's been gutted in the editing. And
0: it's been pulled in all sorts of different directions. Yeah, it's trying to appease everybody without actually being its own thing. Yeah. Going to this interview that I read with Rachel Talalay, it felt like there were a couple of issues, pre-production and and production, minor issues, but all the problems came in post when um, the film was being tested. It was really then when the film was basically taken off her and made into what it is now yeah, and um, it never really reflected the director's vision of what it should be like and even now she's actually trying to get Tank Girl optioned again from MGM obviously all the people involved at MGM are completely different people now yeah. Uh, so she's trying to get it optioned in order to actually make a new version of it or get somebody to make a new version of it because yeah she doesn't feel like she did a particularly wonderful job at it and also she just lost complete control over the end results yeah and so she still feels that there's um you know there's life in it that could be reworked
1: well you're absolutely right it was in post-production that this film really started to fall apart and uh, that's where many issues were raised or created and that was mainly because MGM and UA decided that the tone that they had settled on the one that Talalay wanted violent raunchy adult they decided in post that actually no we want to tone back those things Mm. so they tried all these different versions where they were pulling things out i mean there were scenes even with um, laurie petty where she's being interrogated by malcolm mcdowell's evil head of water and power in what is essentially a freezer room Mm. she looks half frozen to death and they toned all that back even though it had some story relevance to the film simply because they didn't think laurie petty was pretty enough in those scenes Which is just utterly against the type of film that Talalay and her crew seem to be trying to make. She's not supposed to be this pretty character. She's supposed to be a woman. She's supposed to be a girl. She's supposed to be anything she wants, really. She's got all this kind of bohemian stuff going on. And she's being interrogated in this scene. It doesn't matter that she doesn't
0: look typically hollywood pretty <laughs> no she's uh, she's holding her own against everybody that's trying yeah. to oppress her and what she likes doing and that's the through line of the film is that this is a character that wants to do what she wants to do and no yeah. one's going to stop her from doing that and this is it's probably been toned down a lot but this is a film that out and out is a feminist film yeah and it's driving a very clear feminist message to the audience and i think that's what the studio was scared of mm-hmm. and they tried to um tone down Yeah, you know what? It would be the equivalent of, to use a film that came out in 1995,
1: the same year, Die Hard with a Vengeance. It would be like the studio really kind of impeding on John McTernan's vision of that film and saying, oh, actually, you know what? You can't hurt John McClane that much in this scene because we need him to stay good looking. So, Mm. you know what? Perhaps don't bloody his face up too much. He needs to be good looking. It would be essentially the same as that. It's exactly what Tank Girl is against for this to happen. So, yeah, it's been really fucked over in the editing. Yeah. But I guess we really need to get into whether or not the film survives this. It's another (laughs) film. Does it survive the studio process? Well, I guess we should really get into the film. Yeah. And uh, give a little brief overview of what we think before we really get into it. I mean, what did you think of Tank Girl? Well,
0: I quite enjoyed it. It was very um, different at times. I can see where they wanted to go. With it, it doesn't quite get there. No. But I don't think it's the fault of the filmmakers in particular. I think, again, this is a film that's been gutted and and messed around with in post Mm -hmm. to try and make it a certain kind of film, which I was saying before, they're trying to make it a teen comedy. Yeah. And I don't think that's what the intentions of the filmmakers were at all when they were making the film. And you can see that for a large part of the film, that's not what they're going for at all. They're going for like a really goofy, out-and-out, raunchy, off-the-wall comedy with very strong feminist themes yeah and um that's not really what we get here it's kind of a half-baked situation where it's neither one thing or the other no and it ends up feeling like a little bit
1: of a like an mtv advert yes not even an mtv show it feels like an advert yeah <laughs> it feels like it's like this is for teens yeah it's almost like too focused on that teen market like that's yeah. where they've clearly honed in on and decided that's their market in post and they've really kind of overkill that whole side of it yeah like you say it, it never commits to any particular tone as a result it never really goes through with any of its intentions or its ambitions because it's always holding back yeah. i think that's that's one of the issues that i really like this film i like a lot of the characters in it i say really like i really like a lot of the elements and i really like a lot of the ambitions
0: i like what they're going
1: for yeah but i, I don't know if i would like the film no but yeah so i think we should really start with the story and characters. How was this film written? I mean, do they really come across well in the film? I mean, what do you think works, story-wise, for Talalay's Tank Girl?
0: The things that work for me... I mean, they're always in isolation, really, because, like I say, this is a film that has lots of quite good elements, but they don't all gel together particularly well. I mean, I like Tank Girl as a character. I like her quirkiness and uh, sense of humour and um, her resilience. Yeah. Her unwillingness to give in to this fascist regime basically mm-hmm. and i like her determination i like the concept of the rippers as well i like some of the characterizations and i like their devotion to johnny prophet and how he teaches them i don't think that's really developed enough at all I no I, that's a whole of the film yeah and uh, yeah. i mean i really love Malcolm mcdowell anyway because he's always great in everything that is in. He he elevates anything that's even remotely bad into something that's great whenever he shows up.
1: I would say so at one part of his career. Now he's doing the likes of Silent Hill Revelations and stuff like that. He's kind of phoning it in a little. But I think at this point in his career, yeah, even in bad films, he was still just enjoyable to watch. Yeah, He's one of those actors that just, we speak about it often. He always come across well in these type of films, Mm. but they love to chew scenery
0: yeah and they chew it well yeah i mean those are things that i liked i did like the concept of the um, liquid silver place again that's something that i didn't think was developed enough that's another film again yeah lots of ideas but they don't quite gel together and they don't create a coherent story either i get the feeling now i can't really talk about the
1: script as it was originally written yeah because this is clearly is not the script that was originally written this no. was as we said heavily edited and post looking at it as what's portrayed i get the sense that it's almost like whoever edited it or whoever uh, wrote it had like adhd and just could not concentrate on one particular part at a time it was always like oh what can we do next what can we do next You know, just as you were like losing the concentration right in mm-hmm. it and i think that's actually a result of the editing really because yeah. you can never get your grips into any single part of the film mm. everything happens way too
0: fast Are you saying it's a bit of an advert? Yeah. Like, you're never in one place for long enough to really establish what it's like. No. And there are characters that are set up that are clearly, obviously,
1: supposed to be in the film and some capacity that had completely cut out they come across i think a a name sand girl or something like sub girl sub girl that's it yes they come across sub girl and she's in it for one scene and disappears yeah and i was left asking why
0: why was she there yeah she's a a complete casualty of the edit she's been surgically removed from the film because she is quite a big character in the comic books apparently oh right and um yeah she's played by Anne Cusack, who's uh Sister of John and Joan.
1: I thought so. Yeah, and um, yeah, she's I did just, IMDb. Her, she, yeah, she's was, in that
0: one scene, but um, she's meant to play a much more important role in the story. But has literally been surgically removed from the film, which I think is why the the second half, especially, is so disjointed. Because yeah. I think that's where a lot of the elements have been uh, messed around with. Because I kind of feel like the first half kind of works for yeah. the most part after the whole Ripper attack, and that's when it really starts falling apart. It does. And
1: watching it again. I was actually had to remark about how late in the film the Ripper's come into play. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, They're always mentioned. They do have a presence in the film Mm. straight from the beginning because they're mentioned quite a lot. But I always thought Tank Girl actually got in with the Ripper crew Mm. much sooner. I think the film actually suffers because they leave it so late in the day to add them. There's clearly... Again, we're going to say this, I think, about most things in this film. There's clearly a lot on the cutting room
0: floor in that aspect. Yeah, and I think what's happened as well, they've cut certain things out so much to an extent where you don't see certain things happen. Yeah. Like, I'd imagine there's probably a scene where Malcolm McDowell's character gets injured, but yet we only ever see the aftermath of it. And then the next time you see him, he's in bed recuperating. Yeah, I thought
1: I'd missed something there. I I
0: honestly did. Because the only indication you get of that before is when um, Tank Girl finds his seven arm yeah, with the device still on the wrist. And that's the first time you have an indication that he's even been injured because you'd get no sense. He just disappears from the film. Oh, wouldn't it have been great to see this kind of like gory
1: decimation of this horrible, tyrannical character? You just get to see him ripped apart. Oh his yeah, his face yeah. chewed off yeah and uh then he appears as he does at the end of the
0: film but i feel like there may have been some of that on the cutting room floor. oh yeah i feel it like definitely there's, looks there's like definitely a it. scene somewhere that's not there yeah i just feel like this is obviously the studio going oh this is too violent let's just cut this out yeah that's kind of stuff just keeps happening all the way through the film there's things like um like what happens the little boy character at the start of the film yeah did he become a rent boy <laughs> You know? I mean, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's so many things like that that are just not there. Yeah. So, yeah, the whole tone of this film has been messed around with because of things like that.
1: Yeah. I guess that makes it really hard for us to talk about the script. Yeah. Because we just don't know what was in the script compared to what's in the final film. Yeah. It's not like last week when we were talking about Waterworld when you can see the issues with the scripts as clear as day. With this one, it's much harder to determine because... This wasn't fucked about with in pre or during the shooting. This was fucked about with purely in post. So there's not really much that I can level at the screenwriters without
0: knowing what their script was because it's clearly not the film they intended no, it to be. not at all. So I, I kind of enjoyed it even despite it being hampered by these things. And like I said, it's by no means a, a perfect film because of it, but I liked the intentions that were going into the film. I liked what they were trying to do. Yeah. And again, it's a shame that they never really were able to bring that to fruition because of the studio.
1: Yeah, I like the intention of making a futuristic sci-fi film through way of 90s grunge. Yeah. I, I really like the look that they create for this film that's both kind of like ugly and pretty all at the same mm-hmm. time, which seems to me to be Tank Girl to a T. Yeah. Who can be both ugly and pretty all at the same time. And not just in the way, I'm not just talking about physically or anything like that. I'm talking about in the way her character is mm. as well. You know, because like you say, she's resilient. She can be as hard as whoever she's up against. And all the while, she's got this kind of like anarchic tone to a character Mm. that just it's never worn down it never goes away i Mm. love that about a character yeah my issues like i say i really quite like tank girl the character i like tank girl the character in this film and i'm sure that people are going to be scratching their heads as to why we don't let other films through the gates but seem to be really enjoying this one and that portrayal of that character but i think it's all about the intentions it's all about what is in the film what it seems to be hinting at what they were going for that was unfortunately kind of toned away. Yeah. Or
0: the thing I did like about it, that despite all the messing around that they did with the film, the through line and intention of that particular character stays true. Yeah. From beginning to end. They don't try and fuck with that character. The, the problem with the character, I like her being resilient, but I don't think she cares enough about other people around her. There's a slight lack of peril and feeling with her.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, you're probably right there, but, Again, I, I mean, we know what's on the cutting room floor. or yeah. well, some of, at least, of what's on the cutting room yeah. floor because we've seen... There's actually... If anybody wants to go and see, you can look on IMDb, the trivia section, and uh, or any kind of interview with Rachel Talalay. You can get a write-up of exactly what's cut from the film. Mm. And I think you're right. In the end of the film, there's Malcolm McDowell's evil character turns mm. to her and says, the little girl, Sam, who she's trying to rescue... He will let her live if Tank Girl kind of submits. Yeah. And Tank Girl says she would rather her die than live in a world where he's boss. Yeah. And I both like that, but I also think it makes her seem a bit a tad uncaring. Yeah. I also think a lot of it's on the cotton room floor, even to do with her character's relationship with the Rippers. Yeah. And um, there's obviously that sex scene. Yeah. That that's, uh, everybody knows about, but everybody's also dying to see. <laughs> <laughs> I mean just to talk about this sex scene for a second but there was actually a 12 inch prosthetic penis that was created for this kind of post-coital scene between yeah. one well,
0: by stan winston yeah. as well
1: <laughs> by stan winston studios yeah, yeah. it cost five thousand dollars <laughs> uh, and it was cut from the film i i want to see it i
0: demand to see apparently it. what they did they shot it knowing that it was probably going to be cut. But they did it because they'd put so much work into it and they wanted it on film. (laughs) Uh, They went ahead with it anyway and went, fuck it. I paid for kangaroo penis. (laughs) I demand to see kangaroo penis. (laughs) I just imagine you, if you are at your age now, when this film came out, just at the cinema customer services, going, I read that there was kangaroo penis in the film. <laughs> I did not get kangaroo penis. Yeah. I want my money back. Yeah. Mom,
1: dad, did you see any kangaroo penis? No, no, no I didn't, no, I didn't either. No, <laughs> I was watching out for you, kid.
0: <laughs> oh, no. But, um, and actually just going back to the production of this, actually, there was um, a lot of goodwill surrounding this project in terms of people involved. Yeah. Because Stan Winston Studio really wanted to do this film and actually were willing to cut their prices in half in order to meet the film's budget and get the costumes and the, and the makeup all done.
1: Yeah, and Rachel it. Talalay didn't actually think that she would get Stan Winston no, Studios. No, That they would just outprice her. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, just by goodwill, they wanted on board Tanger. Girl. Yeah. I think I actually have a quote from them here. Mm. They um, actually said that the Rippers would be the best characters they'd had the opportunity to create. Mm. So it wasn't just creating a monster. They were going to create characters
0: actually what happened afterwards I mean even though the film was a a failure the characters the makeup that they had for the Rippers in Stan Winston's own personal museum of all the things that he's designed and done I mean I'm not sure that still exists now it probably does in some capacity but the actual Rippers took prior of place next to all these more famous creations like he viewed it as a good piece of work by himself yeah. And um viewed it on par with the Terminator and Predator and everything like that. So that was his level of and I mean even when you read his book, he talks about Tango being a lot more successful for him as a project than Congo was, which is the other project that yeah. did that year. This was actually a nice outlet for them to actually have a bit more fun because all they were doing in Congo was creating gorilla suits, which ultimately weren't very successful. <laughs> no, no, you were clear. and gorilla suits. Yeah. And in, in a way, Congo is a much worse film than this Mm -hmm. because um congo you can't really see what they were going for with it with this film has a clear honest intention they're trying to do something yeah but unfortunately it gets tripped up in the last hurdle Mm -hmm. so yeah there's a lot more goodwill and honest intentions in making this film
1: yeah definitely one thing i do want to talk about that i imagine was in the script this was intended to be a very kind of raunchy film at one point and some of that does hold over in the final version of the film yeah but because it feels tonally out of place now because they've retooled the film to be something different than what they intended yeah you get these weird scenes like um when tank girl and jet girl first meet the rippers it seems at one point that one of them's going to rape them <laughs> yeah like literally says that he wants to hump them while they sleep. Yes. Which is all a bit strange. I imagine it fit the tone of the film when it was a lot more raunchier all the yeah, way through. Yeah, But at that time, I always remember thinking that it just seems like they've swapped one evil for another. Yeah. <laughs> and in the deleted scenes, that character actually ends up having sex with Jet Girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they become partners. It's tonally a little bit all over the place, really. Mm. So you get these random scenes that pop up like this that just kind of like jar you. Like, whoa, wh- where'd that come from? I don't know. I kind of like that about the film.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it, and again, it's difficult for us to really measure what is there and what isn't because we we haven't got access to all the deleted scenes. Although apparently, no. I only found this out recently, so we haven't had a chance to watch them, that if you go on Rachel Talalay's website, there are a lot of the deleted scenes in a sort of VHS quality version that you mm-hmm. can actually look at, and apparently the studio hasn't taken them down. So that's how much they care about this film. So, uh, yeah, because she was like thinking, oh, they're going to take him down at any point. And then apparently they haven't haven't really even been in contact with her about it. So, I would be very (laughs)
1: interested in seeing Rachel Talalay's version of Tank Girl because one thing that I did mention is that even in its current form, it's perhaps still a little too long yeah so i imagine if rachel tellerley had final cut on the film it's not that it would be an extra hour longer mm. it's more so that it would be a completely different edit things that are in this version of film would be taken out to accommodate things that are in her version of film. the yeah film. it'd
0: just be a different version of it
1: yeah and i'd be very interested in seeing that but i don't think we ever will no so we can't really measure what the story and the characters are like because like as we spoke about it's not the film they want to make but what about the performances that are actually in the film. We spoke about Laurie Petty. We both really like Laurie mm-hmm. Petty in this film. Yeah. And Malcolm McDowell. But let's move on to the likes of Naomi Watts. Yes. Who's quite a, um, a shock to see her in this film. I completely forgot that she was
0: <laughs> in this film. And apparently this is a film that embarrasses her.
1: Yeah, she's ashamed
0: of it. Yeah. I feels a bit too harsh for it, really, considering they probably had quite a good time making it. Yeah, it looks
1: a lot of fun. But at the same time, I think the issue is that her character is probably something of a damp squib.
0: Yeah. In fact, I would say she's probably the weaker elements of the whole film, actually.
1: Yeah, because you've got Tank Girl, and you've got this world that are so very loud and energetic and uh, bring it to life, mm. and yet you've got this Jet Girl. I mean, she's supposed to represent the put upon like almost victim of mm. this patriarchal society, and she's supposed to represent that. This She's just trying to keep her head down and kind of survive this world. But yeah, she I mean, comes I, off as a little bit kind of whimpery. Yeah, I mean, soft. there's
0: actually there's only one shot that demonstrates that she's come to the end of her arc, which is her last shot her in the final whole film. Shot in the film, and that's the only time you see her like empowered. Yes, when she kills the other guy that's been sexually harassing her through the whole film. But she needed to be that character far sooner yeah. than she was literally in the last shot of the film because she still has that kind of greasy hair look mm-hmm. and like whimpering yeah wet lettuce thing going on throughout most of the film even including after being with the rippers which is weird for me and her arc is meant to be yeah this put upon woman yeah. who is being oppressed by her male superiors who are imprisoning her and this is her slowly becoming empowered and and taking back control Mm-hmm. Because Tank Girl's already there, and this is the character that's meant to have the biggest change. Yeah. But she doesn't really change until the last five seconds. No, it's way and too it's weird. late in the like, day. Yeah, that the progression isn't there.
1: Yeah, I want to have more fun with that character. Yeah. I wanted to make the
0: change so she becomes a lot more fun as a character. And it's, It is really annoying because when I got to that point in the film, it was like, Oh, she's like this now? Why yeah. <laughs> wasn't she like this like half an hour ago? Yeah.
1: You never see it actually happen either. No. You never see um We get that the change has been informed by her time with Tank Girl, but we never actually get to see the point where suddenly she's faced with who she was in the past and who she's becoming. Mm. And she makes that conscious change to be somebody else, to, to to be a better version of herself. That never happens. By the end of the film, she's just different. Yeah. We never get any kind of like development to a character. There's no steps Mm. that are taken. It's happened by the end. Again, I've got to wonder if there's more on the cotton room floor. It clearly must be.
0: Yeah. I still think that might be a little bit of a problem with the script though, or or the way they've executed it. Because even if there are scenes like that, the change doesn't come about soon enough. No, very true. Or gradually enough. It's literally one thing or the other. She pretty much stays that wimpy character until that point. Yeah. Who else do we need to talk about?
1: Well, let's talk about Ice T.
0: Oh, yeah. Who is um, one of the Rippers. And we've got Reggie Cathay as, the, um, yeah, as the leader of the it's Rippers. It's funny because Ice-T's got second billing on the film, but yet he's in the film like not. A, <laughs> he's hardly in the film. <laughs> not at all. And he's literally just there to be Ice-T. Yeah.
1: What do you think about the Rippers? What do you think about them as characters? I like really
0: that? liked them. I thought they were slightly tonally inconsistent with some of the rest of the film. Yeah. And there were a couple of things that made them look a bit too much like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, especially when they're doing that prey dance thing. Yeah. I felt yeah. very turtles ask it did but i like the characters in them themselves in fact, I'd probably say that the Ice-T character is probably the weakest out of all the characters that they had. Yeah. Because yeah. I really liked uh, Reggie Carthay's character. I loved him doing the poem with the saxophone. And the
1: saxophone, yeah. It's, it's great. Apparently, he just brought a saxophone yeah. to the audition with
0: him. Yeah. And that's how he got the role, and he brought his, his saxophone on set. They wanted more of that. Yeah. And I really like the Jeff Cobra character of Booger because I love the idea that all of the other characters that have been modified from humans into the kangaroo, but he's actually been a dog yeah. and been brought up to that level so he's a bit dimmer than the other one yeah and he's probably the the nicest of the yeah the most endearing yeah
1: and i have to laugh that these are essentially our um good guys these are only men in this world apart from tank girl's boyfriend who we see very early on but these are only men of this world that we are given as good guys Mm -hmm. and it's almost like a play on guys of this type of film is that they're actually like kind of animalistic just want to hump all the time stuff like that i guess it's just a play on that whole idea that normally in these post-apocalyptic films the women are the victims and usually always getting raped by guys yeah (laughs) that seems to be a staple of post-apocalyptic films yeah and this seems to be a play on that by actually turning them into animals yeah (laughs) and the most endearing of the lot hasn't even got a shred of human dna in him. he's literally a dog
0: (laughs) I like that it plays on that.
1: It's almost like a satire.
0: Yeah. And I really love the little backstory that they have with Johnny Prophet and their devotion to him. Yeah. Uh, But as I was saying at the start, that's another film entirely. Yeah. You could just have a film about the Rippers. And even just the fact that when they find Johnny Prophet dead in the crate, there's no relationship between Johnny Prophet and Kez Lee, who's Michael McDowell's character. Mm -hmm. You know that he set him up there, but there doesn't seem to be any kind of connection between the two storylines it just seems to be there and there's no um, there's no other subplot connecting the two things together and that's a real problem because that's a really nice part of the film that I liked that wasn't it was just sort of thrown away Mm -hmm. and that's another problem with the Rippers being introduced too late that you don't really um, experience their pain at seeing their creator and father figure killed like that, it's almost like having Splinter killed in the tales and then getting retribution for it and it doesn't really pay anything off for those characters. Uh, No. They don't really get to do an awful lot after that point, because even the climax of the film, their function in that part of the film is very wishy-washy and not very well Mm -hmm. defined. The DT character, which is the Raji Karthes character, I don't know why he dies. No. I don't know why he gets himself into that position where he actually ends up getting killed, because it's like they need one of these characters to die. To sacrifice But they don't quite know how to do it. Yeah. It doesn't really justify it. No. This seems like it does a really stupid thing.
1: Yeah, I suppose you could say that about the entire film, really, is that there are a lot of scenes that I found myself asking, why is this here? Mm. And um there was a lot of things that I enjoyed about it. And to use an example, we talk about that liquid silver s- sequence. Um, there's a, like a, a nice little dance number there oh, that's yeah, obviously yeah. been cut short. But um I always think that that liquid silver whole section could be taken out of the film pretty much wholesale and. Oh yeah, it doesn't really affect anything. No, it doesn't need to be there. And at the same time, the scenes like with the Rippers later on, where where they come across the kind of dead leader, that's not made more of. No, that's almost been brushed under the carpet. So something inconsequential earlier could actually take centre stage for a while. Mm. And um, I found myself asking that a lot of the time, scene by scene, as I might be enjoying this, but what's it doing? Mm. What's this leading to? And not much leads to anything.
0: No. It just seems to be elements of different stories. Yeah, and there's not a lot of things tying into each other as well. Like, even the whole Kessley character. I mean, after he gets ripped apart, in a way, and he gets sort of rebuilt by uh, a lovely little cameo by James Hong. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he always seems to do these little mad scientist uh, things, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, seems Blade like Runner's the other one as yeah. well,
1: thinking off. He, he seems to always get... Himself, well, he's typecast, isn't he, in yeah. this type
0: of role? <laughs> he has little appearances in films like the other one's Wayne's World 2 which is one of my favourite film scenes of all time oh it's fantastic Um, (laughs) but um yeah I just I love what they do to his character I think it's really creative I like that part of it Mm -hmm. I love the fact that they lop his head off because it's far easier to do that than try and save the head yeah I actually
1: um, I remember being a kid and watching that scene, and that's one of the scenes that stuck with me. Yeah. And, uh, it actually scared me at oh, the time. Oh, it's a bit freaky. It is, It's yeah. a bit freaky,
0: <laughs> the fact that this, with the Kesley character, they rebuild him by giving him a robotic arm, which is fine. That's normal sci-fi yeah. thing. But instead of rebuilding his head, they get rid of his head entirely. I don't know where the brain goes. <laughs> Who knows? Um, probably in his chest cavity or something like that. But they replace his head with a hologrammatic version of his face. Mm -hmm. So he's literally got like a little projector in his neck hole. And then the rest of his head is literally a projection of what his head used to look like. Yeah. And it's really, really bizarre. There's some really nice little things that I think probably he would have improvised. Because the nice thing that they do is when you see the character after this time you never get to see his face until right to the end. So you're always questioning what have they done to his head? Yeah. And there's a nice little bit where he tries to drink some water and goes just falls through, obviously, and he goes, damn, (laughs) damn. Uh, Which is really nice. I think that's probably a nice little improvised moment there. Yeah. But all this stuff, they're all trappings, and there's no real story element. There's nothing that it wants to say about this character as to why he's been turned into this character and why he's like this. There's no strong enough reason uh, for this character to exist beyond when he gets attacked because his story is kind of over then
1: yeah it is like you said i don't know what it really says about his character yeah
0: because it spoke to me when i first watched it because he's in the film quite a lot in the yeah. first half and then he's he's in the film very sporadically after that
1: yeah and they don't even set it up as being something that he can um, be angry at tank girl for talking about the way that he is now because now. he actually enjoys what he's become yeah that he can't be harmed him, even though tank girl proves him wrong in that yeah, regard. Yeah. but he actually prefers the version of himself that he becomes rather mm. than who he was before so he almost has to thank tank girl for that yeah or at least the rippers anyway
0: but um yeah that's where i think a lot of things like this don't tie up neatly together that i think even though we can't read the scripts as it was originally intended i still think there would be problems yeah with it because there isn't enough thought put into the characters and i think to be honest This is a problem I have with comic book movies generally anyway. You get the odd one that that gets through. But because most comic books, well, especially comic books of this time, I think they've got a lot more sophisticated since this came out. Uh, And you can say the same thing with computer game movies as well. Some of the characters in themselves visually are quite cool. Yeah. But when you try and put that in a film perspective, where things have to have um, a lot more depth to them, Uh never quite works. And you know who we're seeing that a lot with now, especially in terms of the
1: visual look of the character, but the um, the thing from Fantastic Four, the yeah. rock monster, they've never been able to nail that. That's a character that looks really iconic on the page. Mm. Everybody sees him as this orange rock monster, but both in the Fantastic Four they made, what, like 10 years ago or something? Mm-hmm. It just looked like some orange turd. <laughs> and in this version he. Looks like some CGI monstrosity. We're still seeing that that things on the page don't always translate yeah. onto film mm. or in motion. I guess yeah, there are some elements that play like that with *Tank Girl*. Perhaps more to do with the story and the characters.
0: Yeah, and I, you see that with um even in the film itself. They had to redesign the rippers in order to make the film. Mm-hmm. But when you actually get the animated sequences, the way that the rippers look is very similar to how they looked in the comic books. Yeah. So they don't really marry together very well.
1: No, no. And um, you are right. But at the same time, I do love the look of the Rippers. I think it was definitely the right decision to probably go a little bit more human with them. Oh, yeah, because, yeah. Because um, they do look fantastic. It's definitely a great design by Stan Winston Studios. Yeah,
0: and they really succeed in their intentions. Because what they wanted to do with the Rippers was to create a character that is is—it's a makeup job but it's not like a puppet. They wanted to make sure that the actors' performances came through well in the in the costume. So there's no... The only animatronics that are in the in the costume are the ears because they wanted yeah. to make sure that the ears were in motion so they didn't just feel like a, a makeup effect, like they were just an add-on. They wanted to make them move like they would with the humans. So they were the only things that were really controlled and I think that the tails were like extra things that I don't think yeah. attached to them. But... I think they really succeeded in making sure that the characters and the actors really came through in those costumes.
1: Yeah, they really did. Uh, you just got to hand it to Sam Winston Studios. This is when they were at the best. And to be honest, they've always been at the best. Hmm. They will never be at their worst. Um, <laughs> even now, in his absence, they're um, they're still going strong. They're just not getting the jobs that they should be getting. But yeah, enough about Enough about sad things like that. <laughs> yeah,
0: and I think it's a shame that we don't see that more now. I think there's that still sort of thing to fall back on CGI, or we well, not even fall back because it's probably way more expensive. It is, uh, yeah, to do that kind of stuff. And we obviously, we've seen it with the turtles and do all mm-hmm. this motion capture stuff. But there's still probably a there's still a viable outlet for doing this kind of thing because it mm-hmm. does work,
1: especially in regards to monsters. I think if ever you're trying to set up a monster that the audience has got to be able to emote with or connect with in any way. There has to be some kind of humanity for them to be able to see. Sometimes it's in the eyes. And when you've got prosthetics, it's much easier for an audience to connect to this type of character. Especially, to use the Rippers as an example, you can see their human features. Even despite the fact that they do look quite monstrous. Mm. You can see a humanity to them. And that's why you can connect with them on any kind of level yeah and so stan winston Studios is definitely the right kind of thing Mm. with cgi you often find filmmakers lose themselves in the possibilities of what they can do Mm. and
0: sometimes go too grand and in the process you lose your humanity yeah definitely because i mean even though i think the rippers concept is underdeveloped i still feel that the characters come through well
1: yeah I just want to see more of that world. Yes. I want to see more of the Rippers' world because you are right. There is a kind of like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles element to them <laughs> that really does come through in a couple of scenes. But um, yeah, I, I want to see more of their little underground society thing they've got, and and if if there's more like them. Mm. But yeah, unfortunately, it never really pays off. Yeah. Okay. One thing I want to ask you about, just to get your opinion of, is um, during the film, there's obviously these. Um, comic book sequences mm. that have been edited into the film. So you, you suddenly cut to, like, comic book reactions or a comic book panel, and there's a couple of animations as well. It's usually used for transitions, but sometimes, just to hammer home a point, like, instead of a reaction shot, we'd cut to just a panel of, like, Tank Girl's face. Mm. And um, it's obviously done in the same type of style and by the same artist, it looks like, as the comic book Tank Girl. Yeah. So um, there's an argument to be made that it's somewhat jarring, and I just wanted to know what your opinion of it was.
0: No, I mean, I quite liked it. They actually, I preferred the still panels more than the animation, actually. Oh, right. I found the animation quite uh, disturbing <laughs> at times. And also, I didn't understand what was going on in some of it. But with the panels, I thought it worked really well. And um, I didn't think it was as jarring that people make out because what I liked about it is that you get the panels immediately. That's the first thing you see in the whole yeah. film. And the whole title sequence is built around these panels so when you get back to the next panels and they, they come again quite frequently Yeah. so it's not as if they disappear and then reappear all of a sudden. They didn't jar with me as much but I felt like the animation sequences were a bit too um, kinetic and ADHD yeah. to um, really understand what was going on or, or really understand what they were trying to do with it really because the panels were much clearer in what they were trying to illustrate. Yeah. You knew the point straight yeah, away. whereas with some of the animation stuff, I was just like, what is going on here? It was almost designed to replace a sequence that they couldn't film, but I didn't know what they wanted to film. Yeah. Uh, but like, like I said, in terms of the still panel stuff, I thought that was actually quite successful. And then it really, you really got the tone of what the comic book would have been like if you hadn't read it already. Yeah.
1: I, I don't know. I quite liked the animation segment. I do get your point about it being... little bit hard to follow because they often have no bearing on the actual film themselves Mm. they're supposed to be like this transitional pieces where um instead of seeing the characters go from one point to another it's almost like we just cut to this animation and um one of them's almost like a dream sequence almost where um jet girl gets knocked over the head and for a while you think it's that but is it or isn't it is made Mm. unclear however I do like the style. I did when I watched it. And um, and also, to do with the single panel shots, I really like them for the most part, except when the editing uses it in a way where it's just flashing stuff at us. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's normally at different points in the film where they want to really kind of push the energy that's happening on screen and get that across. They just start flashing images at us between live action and cartoon. Yeah. yeah. And you get this like strobing effect. And it was just like, it was giving me a headache. Mm. I had to look away a couple of times. (laughs) But uh, that stuff didn't work that well for me. Yeah. But I I do love the single panel-like reaction shots and stuff like that. Because to be honest, that was what made me first watched the film in the first place is i really like the art
0: yeah because i like to like the stuff when she gets knocked out and then there's a panel that says this is me unconscious yeah and then there's the bit where she discovers the tank for the first time that's done to the shaft music and then you get like the thing about joking about what a good length and all that kind of stuff and there's her reaction shots and things like that i thought that worked really well yeah and even like some of the stuff at the end with the Kesley one is like, I'm melting, I'm melting. That, yeah. that kind of worked quite well. But, yeah, like, yeah, I do agree with you when, when, in terms of when they used it for some of the strobe effects. Yeah, it was just too heavy handed in your face. I can just imagine
1: the studio had been the kids are going to love it. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> but it, it just doesn't work for me. No. They're just trying to be like, say, that's when it most feels like an MTV advert.
0: Yeah. It's
1: like, oh, we're hip, we're cool. Look at all this flashing
0: stuff. It reminds me of the Wayne's World one when they're trying to like, do Wayne's World on network TV. <laughs> Wayne's World, oh, party time. time. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that. Noah's Arcade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like having a character like that like overseeing this. Because yeah. apparently that's what happened was, I can't remember the name of the guy, but the executive that they were speaking to when they were pitching the film and who really liked it and bought it, they got on with really well. But when it yeah. came to producing the film and going through post, they ended up with another executive who just didn't get it. Just didn't get it at all. And that's that's ah. who they were fighting against all the time when they were doing the film. And that's basically what the problem was, that they just got somebody
1: else. Well, the question that I was going to ask later on was, how does a studio sign off on a film like this without knowing that it was going to be like that it's like oh yeah we'll make your raunchy violent post-apocalyptic film and then later on be so concerned with the fact that it's raunchy and violent mm. and sweary it's like that's exactly what you signed on for and i guess that explains how that kind of shit happens mm. even just the swapping over of executives can so negatively affect your film mm. if one guy doesn't get your film that could spell the end of it mm. because one of the things that i do want to mention about the editing of this film is that, yeah, it was heavily edited in post, but it wasn't because of test screenings, because actually, a lot of the film tested really well. Yeah. At least initially, and then later on, as they started to make their different versions and start to throw it out there, that's only when things started to look downhill for them. Mm. But according to IMDb, and according to an interview I read, the first screening that they had for the film, it tested very positively. Mm. It was the studio themselves that had issue... with a a couple of scenes not the people watching it so certain
0: things that tested well they'd actually take out because they didn't think it was right yeah and they really took ownership of what they thought was right for the film rather than what audiences were reacting to Mm -hmm. so there were certain things that the audiences really loved that just aren't in the film because of reasons Mm -hmm. (laughs) really just because uh malcolm businessman didn't like it
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) malcolm (laughs) businessman
0: In the interview, Rachel Talley basically described the process as idiotic because she couldn't quite understand why it happened. Because the way that films get. She was almost saying that the way that the film got tested and messed around with was almost the opposite of what most films are like when they get tested. Because uh, usually films are. sequences are altered or changed based on audience reaction. Yeah. And they're tested too much with different audiences, and that's why they get messed up. But this was testing well with audiences and but the studio was still like now nah, we don't like that bit we'll take it out so, yeah <laughs> it's just like we're going to test it but then we're just going to ignore the audience <laughs> so yeah then when the studio actually did start to put their stamp on the film it
1: did start to test poorly is because well it began to morph into the film it is now and jamie hewlett uh, who is the co-creator of tank girl and had a lot of input in this film. Yeah. He spoke of the experience to Empire Magazine. He said, um, it's ridiculous having a bunch of little snotty 14-year-olds deciding how a film should be made anyway. They were probably just snogging their bird or pulling each other's hair throughout the whole thing. Yeah. He doesn't speak fondly of the experience. No. It's certainly one that I don't think many people that are behind the camera are going to. It does seem to me that they did have something on their hands that could have been a... Maybe not a genuine hit. like I can't see it taking the box office by storm in any Mm. shape or form, even in its best way. But I can see them having a genuinely solid film Mm. on their hands at some point here. I think there is one in the
0: edit somewhere. Mm. Ultimately, this is the film that killed Rachel Talalay's career as a film director because from this film onwards, she uh, was doing TV movies and television. And I think
1: there's a real case to be made with Tank Girl that... It does seem to come across that women aren't as welcome in Hollywood, at least in terms of directing, as men are.
0: No. And not uh, at all. this
1: film can be really held as a prime example of that. I mean, we've seen filmmakers with bigger flops than this yeah. go on to direct other films and be given those second chances. It seems to be that even if it's not your fault, once y- you're out, it's almost like, oh, we gifted you this chance and now you threw it away. Yeah. It's a very cynical move. So I really do feel for her in that regard.
0: Yeah, and I think the yeah the upper echelons of Hollywood business is still very much male dominated anyway, and I'm like we we keep seeing it with different directors. And apparently now there are less female film directors out there now than there even were in the nineties, wow. which is a really bad thing to, That's to awful, look at. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's actually there's about fifty percent more back in the 90s then and it's not like the 90s now.
1: were some like golden
0: era for no it's so that's weird just weird that's despicable yeah it's got worse actually so and i don't know where this comes from i just don't know where it comes from at all it kind of drives a vicious circle because women aren't treated so well in film it's not encouraging new female filmmakers to come to the forefront because i mean even when you look at your local film scene there are always a lot more guys than yeah. women and i don't understand why that is so and I think the only reason is because people already know that it's one of those industries that you're just not going to get on with very well if you're a woman. Yeah. And that's a really sad thing to think about. But that's, I think that's basically why. And I still think it's going to take a lot of time for really that to change. Because unfortunately, we can talk about it till the cows come home, but we're not in charge of all this yeah. stuff. And it's only really going to take massive changes in the way Hollywood works and what well just the way filmmaking distribution works until we see that. Yeah. And the only thing I can really say about it is because the way that TV and film is changing now and starting to merge together, uh-huh. that could be the thing that changes everything.
1: Yeah. Even when women do seem to get these um, almost like champion roles or these, um, let's say, high-profile roles, such as, well, yeah, to use the director of Wonder Woman as, a, as an example, it's almost like they're only allowed to when it's token films. Yeah, like uh, yeah, such you're as doing this. a feminist film. Yeah, or if, if we're doing a film it, about it, a woman, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But y- there's no chance of a woman directing Iron Man, the movie. Yeah, or the next Star Wars film, or the and, next Bond, or, or the next <laughs> Bond. Yeah, yeah. And that seems to be almost unsaid at the moment as well. Yeah. That whole thing, because people are waving the flag like, oh, finally, we're casting women and people of color in these roles. Like, for instance, Black Panther as well. The after specifically a uh, person of color to direct that film that's and the that's, wrong it's the wrong it's, way to go about it's, it's it it's just exa- well yeah it's exactly like you do
0: your film about your thing
1: yeah exactly but you can't do the film about these other things
0: yeah because this is but, our this is our thing yeah, yeah
1: it's it's weird and yeah. it's um it's so sad that we're still in that way but we're kind of like championing them for hey, hey. it's <laughs> like giving them the fucking participation medal or something
0: it means nothing yeah it's like well you can say the same thing like oh we're gonna let a disabled director direct a film about disabled people
1: Yeah, exactly. That's basically the same thing.
0: It is. (laughs) It's It's stupid. It really
1: is. It seems to be just based on such arbitrary terms as well. Yeah. um, yeah. I could talk about this all day. I just work myself into an angry (laughs) (laughs) tears. And anyway, getting back to the film, one last thing that I do actually want to speak about in regards to the filmmaking behind Tank Girl is um, the score, or at least the music that is used in the film it seems really jarring to me and dates it yeah, very quickly because it's uh, already kind of grungy looking yeah. and that, that comes across really well but it the score feels completely out of place because you've got this futuristic setting that's very grunge 90s grunge mm. but then you've got this 90s grungy score that instantly dates it back then it, it takes you out of that
0: yeah because um there is a score somewhere by Graham Revell. I would no idea where it is. Oh, tell I me about it. Yeah. it. I, I haven't <laughs> heard I, For me, it would just sounded like all soundtrack music. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it really dates it. And like it's one of the things that really, for me, holds it back in that teen film genre, that area because I don't like soundtrack, unless it's something like a Tarantino film or something like that, I don't like a lot of soundtrack music that are in films. I, I never feel it works particularly well. I always think and it's I a g- bit cheap. Yeah, it's very cheap, and I always think it really puts a film in a certain time frame, which is why when they do it in like Tarantino films, it does work because they always use yeah. songs that aren't from that era that they're shooting it in, so it kind of transcends. Mm-hmm. it. But when you get in films that are just using music of the time that it was actually made in, Especially when you're trying to do a futuristic film like this, it really jars and it doesn't work so well. And I know that the actual soundtrack itself was praised at time of release; like it was more memorable than the film was. Well,
1: the music itself's fine. It's the music fine. choices. There's some tracks in that it, film that I love.
0: Yeah, because it's um, executive produced by Courtney Love. Yeah, and it's all the music that she's chosen for it, and which is fine. But yeah, the way it's integrated into the film doesn't work so well, and it really helps to cheapen the overall effect of yeah. the film. It's tacky. And it feels almost TV movie-esque. Yeah, it some, does. At, Especially at the beginning. Mm-hmm. There was that whole sequence at the start when she's making her boyfriend take his clothes off. Yeah. That was really cheesy. But just because of the music that was going on over the top of it.
1: Well, it just makes it feel like a music video. Even, for instance, the shower scene where she's showering in sand. Oh, yeah. And you've got a head song mm. going over that. It's a song that I really like. Yeah. But it just makes it feel like a music video. And I guess it hammers home that kind of episodic and jarring shift in film because it's always moving about at one point you've got like a Potter's head song coming on and it's all supposed to be like a little bit melancholy yeah. and then next you, you know it's all back yeah, to being then, crazy then you've stuff. got bjork
0: as well yeah i think the only song that works really well is the one that's in the titles which is the devo song mm. which is weird because it's a devo song which was covered by soundgarden yeah but then they couldn't afford the soundgarden <laughs> version of that song and then they got devo to come back in and re-record their own song but in the way that soundgarden did it but with a female vocalist on the top. So it's a really weird way that, that they do that. They're doing a cover of, a cover of their own song. <laughs> weird. That's the only song that works really well because it works quite well with the panels. Yeah. And again, I think it helps to make the film feel more erratic than it actually is.
1: Yeah. I think it actually sums up the making of this film pretty well, that nothing came easy. <laughs> no, no, not at all.
0: Especially in post. Mm. I think the other thing I want to say, actually my favourite scene in the movie, is the first appearance of Kesley... Yeah. Uh, when he's talking to his generals and they're talking about not holding the, the water. Oh, we've got to talk about smashing. The, the water bottle yes, as well. Yeah. And this is the other thing as well. Like, again, there was a lot of goodwill with the making of this film because uh, Malcolm McDowell still to this day talks very highly about the experience of making this film. Mm-hmm. He actually compared it to the making of Clockwork Orange. Oh, wow. So I think they let him experiment a lot and do a lot of yeah. things and just be a bit He out seems there. to be having fun. Yeah. He's praising him for taking most of the desert but then chastising him and ultimately killing him because he didn't quite get that last bit yeah yeah uh, and you really get a nice sense of his insanity and also the fact that he's making a walk across the broken glass that he's just smashed. and then
1: he chastises him for walking over the broken glass yeah he calls him a fool because yeah.
0: a smarter man would have killed him yeah and not walked over the glass <laughs> yeah i really liked all that part of it and um Yeah, there's this really nifty little device which I thought was great and really played into the theme of the film with no water. I mean, there there are bits that really work in this way. You basically stab people in the back and it literally sucks all the moisture out of your body. Yeah. And then all the water ends up in this receptacle. And the best bit is when he takes it off at the end and drinks out of it and then goes lovely. (laughs) And then it cuts to something else and it's just great. That whole scene from start to finish is really, really good. Yeah, And that's, I feel like, what the film should have been all the way through.
1: Yeah, I think that's actually my favourite scene in the film, and it's Mm. not even got Tank Girl in it. But I think that's the strongest scene in the film. That's the only element that actually plays on the fact that this is a world without water, though. Because, by and large, the rest of the world seems to be getting on just fine. It's all sandy and deserty. I think
0: the point that they're trying to make, but I don't think they really drive the point home, is that everyone else is reliant on water and power. Yeah. And they're all in submission to that, even that brothel, because it ends up being a plant in the end. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel that, that comes across too well. No. The, I say the narrative is very loose, to, yeah. to put it mildly, because there isn't really a proper story. No, no, really. there isn't. It's, it's just lots of, of happenings yeah. and ideas. Yeah. Um, which would be fine if everything was strong. Yeah. The story wouldn't be as important, but because there are things that are weaker than others, uh, it does make that feel more prominent. Yeah, it does.
1: Okay, so it's clear that we have our opinions on Tank Girl, but were critics and audiences blown away by this film? It's time for us to look at the stats and facts. And first up, well, how did Tank Girl fare at the box office? Well, the budget was $25 million in 1995. It's a, it's a modest budget. It's a mid-budget film, really. Mm. I mean, let's talk about the biggest film of the day that year. Was a a Waterworld at 175. (laughs) So yeah, this is a minuscule in comparison to that. Yeah. However, even with such a kind of modest budget, the film made domestically four million dollars, and had an opening weekend of two million dollars. So even the people that actually went to see it didn't really come back. No. And um, (laughs) just to give you an idea of how Badly, it fared it opened on 1340 theaters, so it's still an okay opening but it um, opened to 10th on its first weekend wow i don't have the worldwide figures but wikipedia seems to indicate that it might be around 6 million overall so this film fared awfully mm-hmm. and to be honest i can't remember it getting a theatrical release over here i think it might have gone straight to DVD yeah, um, it might have done. Yeah, I yeah I, I, I can't remember, remember it. it getting a theatrical I, mean, I think
0: that's why I don't remember it anyway because I don't yeah. think it had any kind of presence over here even though it's actually a British comic
1: so even though it didn't have a massive budget this film did still manage to bomb quite significantly and mm. which is a uh, somewhat unfortunate but I guess that's what happens when studios interfere on these kind of films mm. like I said previously I don't think it would have made the big money if it would have even gone on to be a success, but I could see it making its budget back yeah. easily.
0: I think it's also one of those things as well where the studio has messed around with it, but then they've lost faith in it, and then they've just not advertised it enough. Yeah. You see it all the time. If they don't like a film, they just won't push it. <laughs> sort yeah. of thing. So I think there's a bit of that into play as well, because I know the advertising was a bit weird. Just even if you look at the marketing campaigns, there's nothing that really makes you want to go and see that film. No.
1: No, they probably just gave up on it.
0: Yeah. So in terms of a um, critical reception, this film has a thirty-eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which I'd say again, which is probably a bit low for it, given that yeah. I feel like it has ambition. But I don't know where I'd actually place this film on a rating. No,
1: I I would say it's um I'd say it fifty percent. Yeah, actually the
0: the average rating is probably closer to what it is. It's four point nine out of ten.
1: Okay, yeah, I can so see that's that. probably yeah about right yeah and we actually have a clip from siskel and ebert's wrap-up of the year in which they list uh, tank girl and judge dread together as uh, one of the worst films of the year so <laughs> over to them okay my choice in the stupid superhero category is tank girl which starred the usually effective laurie petty in a bizarre futuristic fantasy about a desert world where tank girl lives outside the system and encounters the kangaroo-like mercenaries Called the Rippers. I think the problem with both Judge Dredd and Tank Girl was that they voted all of their attention to the special effects and not enough to the characters and the story. I'm repeating go. myself. Yes, it's like are. a broken record. Yep. They build these amazingly wonderful, beautiful sets. It all looks like, you know, a real world out there. Yep. And the end into that world, they put nothing. No ideas, no characterization, uh, sucks the no motivation, right out of the screen. no witty dialogue, nothing.
0: In terms of that, that looks more like Siskel's opinion of the film. Yeah. But yeah, Ebert was quite a bit kinder to the film in his own review. So he awarded it two out of four. And he says, whatever the faults of Tank Girl, lack of ambition is not one of them. Here is a movie that dives into the bag of filmmaking tricks and chooses all of them. Trying to recreate the multimedia effect of the comic books it's based on, the film employs live action, animation, montages of still graphics, animatronic makeup, prosthetics, song and dance routines, models, fake backdrops, holography, title cards, matte drawings, and computerized special effects. All I really miss were 3D and smell vision <laughs> 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 Yeah, and that's really nailing it on the head because it's a real onslaught of the senses. Yeah, uh, it is. The whole film.
1: Almost in the same way that 1941 was, which we've reviewed previously. And that it was uh, it's almost kind of exhausting at times, just in terms of what's going on. But I think Tank Girl employs it perhaps more successfully.
0: And uh, yeah, he goes and describe the film as being tough to care about despite its ambition. And yeah, I think we both understand where that's coming from. Because it's such a visual onslaught. But then I felt there was a slight lack of depth there yeah to really make you care about what's actually going on
1: no no i have to agree i think we are both in agreement over that Mm. okay and that leaves me to just ask the questions and first up are we any closer to understanding why tank girl has been forgotten
0: yeah yeah i mean this is a film that i'm almost like amazed that mgm even decided to pick it up yeah because it's just the kind of thing that yeah it would get messed up it's one of those things that you can see see it already playing out in your head before they would even made it yeah and when they could see where it was going or what they'd made they just balked at it and just Mm -hmm. messed around with it so much that it would just die in of itself so I really don't have to blame the studio for that there's no other way around it really you can't really blame the filmmakers I mean it would maybe not be a perfect film if they'd let it go through but it would have probably been better than what is now yeah Again, they've just let it flounder and whimper and die when it's come out and then it's just been quickly forgotten about. Yeah, it's just been brushed under the carpet. Yeah. And it's been no because eff- it's a woman director as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. And there's been no effort to bring it back in any way. Yeah. Despite the fact that even looking at the Rotten Tomatoes score, it has an audience reception of like sixty three percent. So yeah. it's actually far more positively received by audiences than it has been by the critics. Yeah. So there are people out there that really champion this film. Oh,
0: yeah. I mean, there are loads of people that really like the film. But in
1: terms of general audiences, I think you just pull out a big nothing. There's not really much demand for it to return to the screens in any big way. And I really think there is a great idea here. Oh, yeah. And I would be very curious about seeing Rachel Talalay's version of the film. Yeah. I can't say that it's going to be better than this without ever having seen it, but looking at what information there is available, it does seem that. Mm. It does seem like there is a better film in there. Definitely. So, yeah, it's totally obvious why this has been forgotten, and unfortunately as mm. well, because there is something here. There's a yeah. kernel of an idea. Here. Yeah. And finally, what are you going to say? Is this best of the forgotten movies or simply best forgotten? It's another tough one. Oh, they seem really to be getting tough tougher one. and tougher yeah. as they go. The thing is, the part of me wants to say it's um, Best of the Forgotten for Rachel Talalay.
0: Yeah, I think what I'm going to have to do, I'm going to have to judge it based on the film that's there. Yeah. Because, again, you can see all the ambition, what they're trying to get at, but because it's been hampered so much, I have to judge it on what the film is right now. And I'm probably, based on that, I'm probably going to have to say that it is Best Forgotten, this particular version of the film. Yeah. But like we were saying just before, I still think this is an idea that is worth being made something of. Yeah. Because I think it's quite important to do that. And it sounds really wanky to say that, but I feel that, as we've been talking about before, there's just not enough films like this. Mm -hmm. And I feel that to remake this will be a really good thing for the film industry in general.
1: Yeah, definitely. And um, I do. I I want to say Best of the Forgotten for Rachel Talalay just because her ambitions are so clear. Mm. And it's so clear what she's tried to do. It's had its wings clipped. Exactly, yeah. And for that reason... For the studio, I have Mm. to say, it's completely not a Best of the Forgotten film. No. It's definitely not. Mm. Because they fucked it up. Mm. They fucked up this vision. Even if Rachel Talalay's film would have come out and not hit the mark, it still would have been an honest vision. Mm. I hate to see this happen, where it's been micromanaged to a point that it no longer resembles what it used to be. Mm. And that seems to have happened with Tank Girl. And so it's important to remember that even the director and the people that created the comic book that were very much involved in this film, they don't look at this fondly. No, They would be completely okay with it being considered as best forgotten Yeah, because I think that's what they want because they Mm. want to move on and perhaps make Tank Girl again and make it better Yeah, with a studio that understands. Mm. And I've got my fingers crossed for that. That's what I'm championing. I'm going to start championing that version. Mm. I want to see what else they can do with this comic book character. But uh, this version of the film, despite what it does well, is best forgotten for me. Yeah, definitely. And that's all we have time for on today's episode of Best Forgotten Movies. Be sure to like, share and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at B4 Movies. So please get in touch with your suggestions for possible episodes. Join us next week for the start of our Star Wars season as we watch Mark Hamill trade in Jedi robes for Bounty Hunter Garb in Steven Lisberger's Slipstream. Coming to a newsagent bargain bin near you, again. Or at best, just
0: slip through your post box <laughs> in an envelope. Yeah. <laughs> With a Sharpie written DVD on it. Because <laughs> no one owns yeah. that film.
1: Coming to a car boot <laughs> near you. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but until then, it's bye from myself and later from Andy. Shut up, dick, What? <laughs> <laughs> See you next time. The guy you want.
0: She's just a girl.